welcome to Vision Scope, a program designed to educate and inform on matters relating to disabilities. My name is Wilbert Williams. Hello there, and welcome to another episode in the series Vision School. Glad you could join me on this episode. This program promises to be an interesting one. Michelle Farrell is an author and motivational speaker. Recently, she joined King Rocco, DJ Fire, and me for a very spirited discussion on her life story and her current book. This program is an excerpt of a longer version which was first aired on Tell It Like It Is. So I trust you will enjoy the program and give us your feedback. And we are back right here with Tell It Like It Is on UVC Radio. With myself and King Rocco and Wise Willie and our guests. Now, I know her personally as Michelle, but for the sake of professionalism and this interview, this is ML. And so, with that being said, let's get introduced to who ML is as a as an author and motivational speaker. I mean, she has a few titles, but, you know, let's talk a little bit about the stripes that you had to earn to get to that point. Oh, Stripes. Thank you guys so much for having me. I'm really, really excited about this, actually. Um, I, I'm i so sorry it took me so long, but I have so many things to promote um, and so many fun things to talk with you guys about today. Uh, me, man, my Stripes. Whew. So I'm a cancer survivor, so I get cancer stripes, and uh, I'm a woman, so I get woman stripes. And I'm a black woman, so I get big black woman stripes because that's deep. But I'm also legally blind. Um, I'm also a daughter and a fiance and a sister. And I wear a lot of hats. Um, but, uh, you know, I wasn't always able to be all of those things. So I definitely can say that because of all of the hats I wear, I definitely earned my stripes. Yes, yes. Step back a little bit, Mich- uh, uh, ML, and tell us about your early days. Um, how did it all start for you? Uh, can you give me like more, sp- like, how did what all start? Like, do you want to know how I got to your, writing? Your, how your, I... your, your general development, um, you, you, you lost your sight, but initially, 
you were not blind, eh? You were not, or you were, you were not partially sighted initially. You had full sight? Correct. So I was actually born, um, I was born with congenital cataracts. Mm. And I had my very first eye surgery when I was only nine months old. My grandmother, that's her soul, used to say all the time that I had the world's smallest pair of glasses that she had ever seen. Because uh, I had glasses as a nine-month-old baby. But aside from needing glasses, my vision was fine for a really long time. Um, honestly, it wasn't until being diagnosed with cancer as a five-year-old when things started taking a turn because my vision still wasn't perfect. I had glasses and correction, but a lot of kids had glasses. Uh, what took a turn for me was going into remission from cancer and finding out that my cataracts had came back. And not only did they come back, but they developed in, into glaucoma. Mm. So for a very long time, I was able to sit in the back of a classroom and read from a chalkboard. And okay. slowly over time, my vision deteriorate, deteriorated. And now I'm still, uh, I'm not considered a high partial anymore, but I am considered a partial because I still have some vision. But my vision has changed so much. I mean, even just in the past three years, I'm cane dependent now, which I didn't used to be. Um, I've had to make a lot of adjustments to being able to read instructions. Like I used to be able to just take a picture of a box and then magnify it with my phone, just a basic camera. And now I have to use the Zoom functions on my iPhone and even voiceover. I stopped using Zoom so much and just strictly started trying to learn voiceover as a change because I'm the kind of person where I don't want to be forced to change. So now that I'm 30 and I'm making different strides in my life, I, I don't ever want to be one of those people where the doctor says, if you don't lose all this weight, you're going to lose your leg. And so I just keep gaining weight and gaining weight and then I lose my leg and then I'm forced to make a change after the leg is gone. So I slowly started introducing myself to what it was like to use a cane again. And I slowly started introducing myself to what it was like to use voiceover so that I didn't have to be forced to do it. Uh, I knew that if I kind of got myself used to it, then I would never have that time where someone said, look, Michelle, you have to start doing this. And I knew it started getting dangerous. Um, there, were, there were times like in public where maybe I stepped off a curb that I didn't realize was so steep and things like that. So I had my own little close wake up calls, but I took it upon myself to start making the changes necessary in my life so that I wasn't fumbling around when it came to blindness. Now I still do fumble, but I, <laughs> I fumble in a way that's very open-minded. I'm always, And I ask a lot of questions. I'm always interested in people who have, sight loss or sight deficiency and they have to go through school would you care to share some of your experiences while you were in school with us what what are some of the major difficulties that you encountered and how did you cope with them uh so i was bullied a lot actually and i i talk about it in my novel about how i was bullied and how growing up I went to a public school and growing up in a public school as a kid in the nineties, bullying wasn't policed the way that it's policed. Now. 
So kids were brutal. And that's actually how my title came from my book. This is, this is how, how much can I see became a reality is because um, kids used to hold two fingers up and be like, how many fingers am I holding up? Oh, yeah. What do you see? Do you see, you know, can you see this? What am I pointing at? What's over there, you know? And um, so it became a sense of, it, it became a source of shame for me when people would ask me about my vision. And it was something I really didn't ever want to talk about. And it was something that I couldn't talk about. And um, fast forward to 2019, when I started going to therapy, when I started realizing that I was giving power, I was giving to power to people, not only who no longer matter, but who I haven't seen in 20 years. And I was allowing them to still have that part of me by cringing every time I had to talk about my vision. And as I got older, I cringed less, but it's just that initial, uh, do I have to talk about my vision? Uh, why can't you just see me for me? But I started to realize, you know, people couldn't see me for me because I didn't see me. I so didn't you, see you, you, the in short, fabulous you, you were allowing them to interpret who you were correct i was allowing them to define me mm. instead of actually figuring out who i was and so i've spent the last few years that i've been working on this novel figuring out who i am and making sure that who i am matches up with who god needs me to be mm. how did you how did you unlock or unleash that power that is within you. What 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 was the driving force behind it? Um. Ooh, so this is part's a little dark. So kind of bear with me. Uh, I'll be clear. I'll just rip the bandaid off. But honestly, the driving force behind it was death. A lot, a lot of death. Um, the five-year relationship that I was in died. Uh, it died a fiery death. I mean, that relationship needed to die, but it died. Mm. And then shortly after my relationship ended, I was about to be married at the time. Mm. And, you know, it wasn't a thing that needed to be done. I had told my fiance at the time that, you know, if you tell me one more time, you don't want to marry me, I'm calling the wedding and that's it. Like, like there's not going to be a wedding. We're done. And so he told me he didn't want to get married and I was done. And then a few weeks later, I found that I had, that I was pregnant. And then I ended up actually miscarrying at about the 11 week mark. Um, and at the same time that I miscarried, my ex was attempting suicide. Mm -hmm. And personally, I feel like that's kind of the thing that stressed me out because I was still his emergency contact. So they called me and then I had to still deal with his family in it. I mean, it just was a horrible breakup. And then, a couple of months after I miscarried, my grandmother passed. So I never really had an opportunity to deal with everything that was already going on. And then my grandmother passed. And then the dog I had since I was 13 died. And I mean, it was, it was a lot of death. Um, and I was at my really, I was really, really at my lowest point. And then on top of that, I was dealing with some health situations. And, um, 
right before May of 2019, I started going to therapy. And in May of 2019, I had this major sinus surgery. And I was really scared about the surgery because I kept telling people, like, man, I don't think this is going to be really good for me. And everybody was like, Michelle, you know, it's not a big deal. You're going to be fine. And I was like, but I'm really scared. My fear was that I was going to stop breathing. And everyone was like, you know, they're going to trach you. And I was like, I think I'm going to stop breathing. And I had this fear because I, for, for months, because my sinuses got so bad, I couldn't sleep at night because I would fall asleep. And then I would wake up and like probably needed a CPAP machine at the time. Or like I wasn't able to breathe. My, it was such a bad infection. It was like all in my face. It was gross. And so um, when they... When I went into surgery, I ended up in the ICU for a few days, uh, about five, probably, uh, five days and four nights or so. Um, and I really did, in a roundabout way, stop breathing. What ended up happening during that surgery was my blood didn't clot properly. So all of the blood from them like digging up in my nose and all of my sinuses was draining directly into my lungs. And since I had the trach, they didn't notice it because it was breathing for me. But when they tried to excavate, uh, my throat closed and I wasn't able to breathe on my own. And I remember waking up and knowing like something is really, really wrong. And I woke up strapped to a hospital bed. I woke up strapped to a hospital bed in an ICU, unable to speak or move or talk. Uh, but I only woke up because my grandmother told me to. I remember hearing her voice and her telling me, like, I'm free to wake up, kid. So that's actually how my book starts. My book starts with me sitting in that coma reflecting on my life up into that point and what led me there. Um, so all of those things back to back to back led me to really being like, I need to make a life change. And then I was really depressed because I still hadn't really gotten to deal with the loss of my baby and then other, you know, my grandmother and then other people that I cared for died. It, it was just a lot of death. Um, yeah. And so that that darkness kind of started to consume me and my best friend was like no i'm not gonna let i'm not gonna let it take you so we're gonna fix it and so she conspired because i went into like a, a period of time where i wasn't really answering the phone i was pretty much only talking to my mom and my doctors and um because after i thought i was better then I started losing vision again. So in October of 2019, I had a, another major eye surgery that didn't work. So I ended up still losing over 70% of vision in that eye at the time. And it was just so many things that were going on. And I was like, I don't, I don't want to live anymore. And everyone was like, Michelle, you know, death isn't like, and I was like, you know, I'm, dedicated children for, for someone who believes the way that I believe I don't understand why mm -hmm. all these bad things keep happening to me like like what is it that I'm doing that makes things happen to me that are so bad like I can't catch up I can't win for losing 
Ever thought, um, ever thought that maybe you were being tested? Oh, absolutely. The, the, absolutely. But it, it took me going to therapy mm. to be able to say, you know what? Maybe God is breaking me mm. and, and destroying the person who I was yes. so he could make me the person who I am now. And, and unfortunately, it took someone else committing suicide who was mm. a former acquaintance of mine. Um, and she had like a similar health struggle as me. Like she did, dealt with a lot of things where she was in and out of the hospital a lot and mm -hmm. stuff. And she allowed that darkness to consume her. Mm. And so that was the wake up call for me that said, you know what, Michelle, maybe if you would share your story and maybe if you would talk to people about how you're feeling and, you know, don't just be like, I'm depressed. Mm. Be like mm. I'm depressed and I want to die today. How do you feel? So that other people can cannot be so ashamed of feeling. You know, like my feelings were justified. I miscarried and then my grandma died, mm. and my five year relationship was over. And two people I really cared about died a couple months later. You know, like it was a lot of things that were like I felt justified in my choice, mm. and other people probably would have said. She's just providing her tell choice. Me, did, did you did you manage to rescue your 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 friend who your male friend who was about to commit suicide? How did it all? My end? ex. Yeah. Um. No. So I only found out because he ended up. Uh, he ended up. Jesus. He ended up uh, being admitted to an inpatient facility. Mm -hmm. And I got the call. Like, I was his emergency contact. So that's the only reason I even really knew. Because we weren't together anymore. So he was staying at the apartment sometimes. But mostly, we were just trying to stay out of each other's way until we figured out mm -hmm. what we were going to do. You know? Mm -hmm. Um. So I got the call at, like, 6 in the morning. Now, keep in mind, he left the house at, like, 4 or 4.30 so that he could go to work. And I get a call around 6 or 6.30 saying, you know, we found him. We're going to you know, take him down to the emergency room. And then he'll probably admit it, be admitted for inpatient observation. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of what happened. And it, and it was even more hard because he tried to tell his therapist. Mm -hmm. He was like, oh, well, she doesn't want to get back together with me. And also... I'm depressed because our wedding is coming up and we're not getting married. And the therapist that made was it, like, that made it even worse for you. So yeah. <laughs> so so basically, it was a lot of personal thing. This individual actually was dealing with as well. Mm. Not only not not only some not only health issues. Yeah, he's making mm. it out to be my fault, but he also so when he went in, ultimately he, he found out, and I had been telling him for years. So his mother was bipolar, and she had previously, Lord. while we were together, there were like four times that I remember that she, you know, tried to commit suicide as suicide. an adult woman because she has bipolar, and I kept telling him for a long time when he started having manic episodes and stuff. I said, I think you have some bipolar. And he was really in denial about it until this episode. And then he, you know, was an inpatient. And then they say, you know, you have bipolar depression. Mm. And so it was, I think, a combination of things. Because, yeah, he had some other factors. But honestly, I think that 
it was his way of trying to manipulate me because I told mm -hmm. him at the time, mm -hmm. I didn't care if I was pregnant or not. We weren't getting back together. Like it was too toxic of a situation. Mm -hmm. And so to me, it was kind of a manipulation, but that's not to say that he doesn't have legitimate issues because he does. He just also made an adult choice not to deal with those issues. And I think that that's important for the kind of conversation we're having to establish that when I knew that I was in a dark place, mm -hmm. I made an, a choice to say, I need to deal with these issues. And when I couldn't make those, that choice, I had, you know, and, not to, and I know that not everyone has this, but I had, you know, at least one person to say, mm -hmm. you know what, Michelle, if you died, it would hurt me. Mm. That's important. And, and ultimately, that's what I needed. I needed someone to say, you know mm -hmm. what, Michelle, if you were no longer here, it would hurt. Because for me at the time, I couldn't, I needed that lifeline as a reason to stay. Does that make right. sense? Yeah, absolutely. Because I couldn't come up with a reason of my own. Yeah. yeah, I mean, basically, you didn't want to, you, you didn't, you weren't going to live for you at the time. So you had to live for somebody else. Mm hmm. And so but, I lived for her for a while. But in, but in all of that, that you were experiencing in your life, what would the family support like to you? I mean. Um, so I will be honest and say, at the time, I felt like my family wasn't supportive. Not for lack of trying, but because up until recently, I've always felt like I've had this kind of relationship with my family where I couldn't be honest. Mm. like I couldn't be like you know what I'm really like this is really a hard time for me mm. my family was so used to saying like oh you're so strong and you're you're you know you're the bravest person I know that I felt like even as a youngster I had to be the strength Didn't like I had to tell down. my family right and I had to tell my family as a child like oh it's okay to leave me at the hospital alone I understand because I did but that's also not something you put on a child. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't, it wasn't until I got older and I got to a place after therapy where I needed, my therapist was like, you need to start telling people how you really feel like, don't just say I'm okay or I'm fine. Let people know how you're really feeling. And if they can't handle it, it's on them. Like stop suppressing your own feelings because you're afraid of how someone else is going to take it. Mm -hmm. because I I did that I used to take on everyone's feelings and everyone's fear and tell them it was okay but I because I didn't I never had an opportunity to be vulnerable you know even as a kid at the hospital they come in and the doctors talk to you like you're an adult mm -hmm. they ask you they, they tell you this is what's going to happen and they break it down for you in, in words that a kid will understand we're going to cut you open we have to take this out because it's making you sick whatever the case is but you become, you have to grow up really fast because you become this five or six-year-old kid having to understand what they're doing when they're inside of your body and you're passed out. And so my family has just always treated me as if I was way more mature emotionally, which, you know, wasn't always the case. Like mentally, I was very mature. Emotionally, I was still a child. And mm -hmm. so because that distinction was never made, 
to protect my emotions, then I, it became me becoming an adult and feeling like I couldn't confide in anyone. Mm-hmm. And telling that I couldn't tell them this is too hard. Take us through the process now of climbing out of that abyss of depression. Um, honestly, it's a daily process. And it's something even now I still do. Uh, I have a worksheet that I created. It's an affirmation worksheet. And I revisit it sometimes just to remind myself, like, what is my affirmation for today? What's causing me to have dark thoughts? Um, what can I do better? You know, did this upset me? And if so, did I address it at the time? And did I do it in a way that's healthy? Now, the process besides going to therapy and um, cleansing myself spiritually, the other process was learning me and learning, all right, Michelle, you're single now. You're not beholden to anyone. You want to start this new path. What does this look like? You haven't been alone in a long time. Are you capable of being alone? Do you like being alone? Like I really, I had to date myself for a while and get to know adult Michelle Mm -hmm. because I hadn't really taken the time to know myself since I was younger because, you know, previously all I needed to know was my ex. What does he want for dinner? You know, did I do, am I doing laundry tomorrow? What am I, you know, what are our plans for the weekend? Like, it was never just, Michelle, what are you doing? It was, what are y'all doing all the time? So a big part of my process for pulling myself out of that was was becoming acquainted with who I was as an adult. A little self-discovery. I who I was, I determined who did I want to be. So I looked at this and I said, okay, well, this is who I am. Now, do I like who I am or do I think I could do better or be something different. Do you like who you are? Um, I like who I am now. Why? I really, I give love. Us, give us some good things about ML that you really like. I'm very funny. Uh, all the time. But I'm also, I'm extraordinarily compassionate. I really, it's a, it, my, one of my close friends says I'm his favorite contradiction because it's a weird combination of I hate people because I'm an introvert, but I love people because I'm my grandmother's grandchild. Mm-hmm. And so I, I have a capacity to care that most people do not have. And that's how I know that God is working through me. Because if I'm asking you, how was your day? I really want to know. Like, I don't want the, it was good. I want the, it was good, but then such and such upset me because this is what happened. This is how I got over. Like, I want all of it. You know, if someone, te- like, people know, and I tell people all the time how to manipulate me. Because I get busy. And I be like, if you text me and say, I need to talk to you, it's important. Or, you know, can you make time for me? It's important. Or whatever. If someone reaches out to me in that capacity, I'm going to drop what I'm doing if I can. If it's something I can walk away from, I'll drop it. If I can't, I'll let them know. I can't do it right now, but give me an hour. I'll be available for you. Um, so those are a couple things I like. Plus, I also like that I, I now move with intention. 
And that's my favorite thing when it comes to knowing who I am as a person and what I like about myself. I know how to deal with people based on who they are and what I want from them. Mm -hmm. So I feel like if I want friendship from you and I reach out to you and I say, hey, let's be friends, I'm telling you up front, I'm looking to be friends with you. Mm -hmm. Nothing more, nothing less. And then we can determine as two grown-ups what does healthy friendship look like for us? Like, I no longer put people in a position to be more than what they're capable of being. And I no longer allow people to do that to me either. How, how do you know what they're capable of? Let me tell you something. Sometimes you just know. And it's not even like, it's not even the, the judge a book by his cover type of situation. But it's, you, you know. You, you got that discernment going on, don't you? Facts. Thank you. Because you know sometimes when you meet somebody on the street. You know. That person that's going to fix your car. Like, you know that that person, they can't, they can't, they didn't tie their shoes today. You're going to let them work on your engine. That's how you know what that person is capable of. Have you ever so, been wrong? I, I, yes. And I admit it. I, you know. I was wrong about my fiance, not because I thought he was a bad guy, but because I thought he didn't like me hmm. like for a very long time. He was mean to me, <laughs> so, but, um, he, it ultimately was just, he was hurt and he didn't really know how to deal with that pain. Hmm. So I've been wrong. And, and the thing is just because in my mind, I might say, I don't think you can do this for me. I will allow you to prove me wrong. Like, I'm not going to out loud. I'm not judging. So I'm not going to walk up to you and be like, oh, because you walked out the house with your shoes inside, you can't fix a car. Mm. Now, if you walk out the house with your shoes inside, keep your shoes inside and then fall, I'm not letting you anywhere near anything valuable of mine because you couldn't take it. Like, that's your body. Your body is a temple. Tell your shoes, bro. But uh, any other time, then, yeah, I definitely... What if I don't know how to tie my shoes? What if I want you to help me? Get Velcro. No, I want you to help me tie my shoes. All right, I'll subscribe you to YouTube. There's a YouTube. No, I want you to help me tie my shoes. That way, I did. you know. I subscribed you to YouTube. No. <laughs> <sighs> that's interesting. That's a, that's an interesting way of looking at it, though. It's it's true because you know, outward appearances it. It speaks a lot. It speaks sometimes. It speaks more than what we wanted to speak, but it definitely speaks. Mm. And um, in in that speaking, you have to be listening, and as well as the other individual must be listening. How how does it? I'm sorry. Could you repeat that? Both of you have to be listening. To what's going on oh how yes do, how do you how do you deal with that the other person might not be listening as intently as you because so for me not everyone can learn through listening so i'm the type of person that i'll give you an opportunity to hang yourself and that sounds very cruel but that's just the reality that that we live in you know, I'm never going to judge a book by its cover. I'm never going to judge you. For example, I would never allow Gary to walk up to me on the street and say, you know what, Michelle, I don't like this person. So 
you shouldn't like them either because of what they did to me. I'm going to say to him, you know what? I have a lot of respect for you and you're a logical person. I'm going to keep that in mind. However, this person hasn't harmed me in that way. Like, I feel like you can be wise to something without ostracizing. Mm. And I feel like that's the trap that we fall into is you end up in this, this herd mentality where everyone hates someone or everyone hates something based on the thoughts, opinions, and feelings of one person. And I'll never subscribe to that. Growing up in a society where I got ostracized and, and um, you know, I mean, there were times I was pushed down, tripped. I mean, I was brutalized as a kid based on the fact that I couldn't, I saw differently than you. That's crazy to me. So as an adult, I would never put someone else in that same situation. And especially having a mother who's in healthcare, you know, a mother who has to deal with people from all walks of life at all times. And, you know, seeing her even in public when she's not being a nurse and she's just being an everyday citizen. One of, one of my favorite times I was with my mom, it was probably back in 2013. We were at the store. We were at a Marsh supermarket back when Marsh was still open. And this woman was in front of us at the count cash register and she was checking out. And the cashier was this really impatient teenager. And she was really not being very nice to the the woman in front of us. And the woman, you know, she was older and she was just moving a little bit slower. And so my mom stepped in, you know, to help the older woman. And when the older woman was no longer in earshot, she looked at the young woman and she said, you know, I'm just letting you know right now, I'm going to talk to your manager about how you spoke to this woman as a customer. Because all she needed was for someone to be patient with her. And that's your job. And for me, that was a really powerful moment for my mom to step up and say, you know what, what you're doing is wrong. And she did it respectfully. She didn't get loud. She didn't get disrespectful. Mm -hmm. She just said, I'm letting you know to your face that I'm going to return to your manager because we come here. And she was like, frankly, I have a daughter with a disability. And if she ever came here without me, I would want to believe that the, that the establishment would treat her with respect as a paying customer. Mm -hmm. And you didn't show me that today. Based on how you treated this woman, you didn't show me that coming here is worth my time because th that's how you treat people. And Michelle, you, you telling us um, about your situations and how you were climbing out of depression and the things that helped you. Um, mm -hmm. And I recognize from your story that it's an ongoing process, eh? You, Absolutely. You, how do you feel these days? Do you feel that you're on top of things now, that things are getting better? Oh, absolutely. I was just telling one of my family members earlier, like, I'm better than I've been in a very, very long time. Mm -hmm. um, I mentally, I'm doing phenomenally. I, I'm sleep. I'm getting more sleep right now in my life than I've gotten in a very, very long time. I used to only sleep four hours, if that. 
Like, I slept like I was in the hospital getting woken up every four hours to get my vitals because I, I was conditioned because I spent so much time in, my, in the hospital that I slept in four-hour increments. It was really strange, but I, I was used to that. And I, I mean, I did fine on that. But I'm, like, sleeping, you know, six, seven, sometimes eight hours a night now. I smile and laugh more than I've smiled and laughed in a really long time. Um, my relationships with my close friends and family members is really healthy. I, I mean, I'm just, I'm doing really phenomenal just based on the work that I did for myself and based on the work that we did as a family. In your, in your introduction, you said that you were a fiancé. You want to tell us a little bit more about that? I'm always intrigued by that part of life. I think that it, I can talk about that man all day. And that's like you might want to save that for the end. <laughs> no, because I want I want I, to come later. <laughs> I so I fell in love during the pandemic, um, and I am madly over the moon in love. Not mm -hmm. the infatuation kind of in love, but I'm in love with a person who, like me, has been through his own hardships mm -hmm. and has spent time learning about himself and growing. And so now we're at a, just at a point in our lives where we're growing together as a couple. Um, I have a lot of respect for him. He does he's the radio personality. We do a podcast together called It Goes Down in the DM. It's a love, sex, relationship type podcast. It's not for children. I'm just going to put that out there. Like, don't let your kids listen to my podcast and then come talk to me about what I said. Um, <laughs> so This is telling like it is. Good fun. Yeah. <laughs> like, say, don't, don't be coming to me talking about my daughter's name is Nina. You said Nina was a whole name. Nina is a whole name. We did say that. <laughs> um, <laughs> it is. Y'all know any Ninas that they hoes? No offense to the Ninas out here, but y'all... Um, y'all got Houdini. Y'all got Burger King bathrooms. Uh, uh, <laughs> so, we, but we have so much fun together. We adopted a yellow lab back in November. His name is Rufus, and he's our world. And um, it's it's phenomenal having a life partner. You know, even when I was with my ex, my health issues were separate from our relationship. Like he tried to keep that separate. And he made it a really big problem to the point of I had a lot of um, insecurity just based on health things I could never control. And so to have a partner who's like, you know what, be vulnerable, you cry, you scream, and I'll advocate for you. Like, I'm finally at a place where he allows me to feel all of my feelings. Like, I don't have to be sick in the hospital bed and still be the only person advocating for me in the room. And in the past, that's what I was used to. I was used to being sick in a hospital bed and still being the only person there to advocate for myself. Mm -hmm. So it's just been phenomenal having a partner and um, revisiting the idea of monogamy. Uh, he and I are of a particular age. He's 29 and I'm 30. And a lot of our friends, and well, not direct friends, but acquaintances, people we know are, are in polyamorous relationships or open relationships or um, whatever. Everybody's doing out here. I feel like I'm old because I don't know none of the names for none of these things. 
And I'm not saying that it's wrong. I'm just saying it's not for me. You know, I want to be a wife and a mother. And I miss the tradition of having a home-cooked meal on the table at 8 p.m. And so, like, I wanted that growing up. And so I found a fiancé who also wants that. And we just, we make it work. Okay. Let, let me, I, I have a question that I must ask you. Okay. And that question is, how do you define love? So, love, I don't feel like it can be measured or defined. I even have a tattoo that's a heart, um, and it's intertwined with an infinity symbol, and around it it says love can't be measured. I feel like love is a feeling it's something that you know you there are certain things that when someone does them for you 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 know that they're doing them because they love you and you know they you know that they love you because it's something that you feel you feel like people people don't really acknowledge the energy that surrounds them but i'm big on people's energy and so for me love is a feeling Love is knowing that when you touch my hand or I hug you and tell you it's going to be okay, it's you knowing that through my whole entire being that I believe that. And I believe that because I love you and because I'm here. Like, love never wavers, it never fades, and it never goes away. I feel like we as people, everyone puts conditions on love, and it's, sometimes it's subconscious. It's, it's not even people, we don't consciously say, I'm not going to love you if you do that. But everybody has a little side eye of, I'm not going to love you if you do that. I don't. When I love you, I love you with everything that I am. So I can love you and you could still be a serial killer. Now, because you're a serial killer, I love you from over there, especially if you got caught because I watched too much Investigation Discovery to know a serial killer who got caught, that's a shame. Um, but the reality is, if, you know, if you're a serial killer, I can still love you, but not love you in prison because you killed and destroyed families, you destroyed people's lives. Um, I can love you if you're, you know, an alcoholic. I can love you if you're the leader of a Fortune 500 company because I love people the way God loves people, and I believe in my heart that God loves us for where we are. He doesn't love us for who he wants us to be. He loves us for where we are and who we are. And I feel like when you start loving people for where they are and for who they are, it changes the dynamic of your relationships with everybody in the world. Because then you, you stop you expecting... Think, hmm? Sorry, don't you think that despite the fact that God loves you and it's unconditional, you have to conform to certain standards to come into his presence so no you don't think uh, so. i don't i don't think so because it says in the bible that if you believe and you acknowledge mm -hmm. that god sent his only son to die for our sins that's your ticket to being you know admitted into heaven like, it says that in the Bible. 
Mm. We all skip over that part. We all skip over the part that says, acknowledge for the world that God sent his only begotten son to die on the cross for our sins. We all say, well, you have to live like this to go to heaven. You have to do that to go to heaven. But let's be honest out here. Jesus loved the prostitutes too. Jesus loved the beggars, the murderers, and the thieves. He didn't condone what they were doing, but that doesn't mean he didn't love them. It just means he said, I love you, but if you don't change your ways, you could end up on a dark path. So you, so in essence, you do believe that you have to conform to some sort of standard oh, to get in to to get on the right path, which would be in His presence. Yes. Or you, no. or you still don't. Because, so, do you remember the story about the um? What was she? It was in the Bible, maybe at the Last Supper. I think she was like a, a lady of the night or something, and she went in, and all she wanted to do was wash God's feet. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember. Uh, no, no. Was this? Yeah, it was the last. Nope. Supper. It, it was. It was before. The, yeah, it was before the Last Supper. Yeah, before, the Last Supper. Right. Um. But she because... had already. She had already changed her habits. But she changed her habits for her. She didn't change her habits because Jesus said, "If you're a prostitute, you can't be in my presence." She changed her habits because being in Jesus' presence and feeling the power of his love and subsequently God's love changed who she was fundamentally. Uh, Let me break it down for you. You don't don't think that if she never changed, she would still be in his presence? No, because I'm, I'm of the belief that if you ask for forgiveness, even if it takes you to you're on your deathbed, I believe if you ask for forgiveness and absolution, you will still be welcomed into God's graces. If you, if you believe, believe it, if you, if you mean truly it. believe, yes. Yes, so, if you so, truly believe it and you truly mean it. So I don't believe that you necessarily have to conform. I believe that fundamentally something can happen. So let me, like my fiance, you just asked me about my fiance, right? Mm-hmm. When we met, one of the things I do with my family that I typically do on Monday nights is we do virtual Zoom Bible study. Right now we're working on a, a T.D. Jakes book, and we do it every Monday as a family. My fiance, when we first met, he didn't really talk to me about faith and religion. Like, he wasn't a non-believer, but he knew that that was more of a part of me than it was of him. Right. Now we talk about faith, we talk about religion, we do devotionals together through our version Bible app. We have a, a couple devotionals that we're going to work through leading up to our wedding in May. And he, he didn't do that because I said, if you don't change, I'm not going to love you or marry you. He did that because he saw how my faith affects me every single day and how it's changed how my family and I interact and how it changes, you know, people overall. So there's a. I never asked for that. Right. Well, that's yeah. Conformity in a sense, because what happens is he has he has conformed. He believes in you, and so he has made a transition. 
because of she. Yeah. But, but and right, and well, and that's, that's what I'm. That's what I'm. I agree with that's conforming. I'm saying that I don't believe that people have to conform. Yes, he did conform, but I don't believe people have. I believe he could have lived his life just fine the way he was, and still, after acknowledging that you know God sent His only Son to die for our sins, we would end up in heaven together. Well, basically, you see a change in your life. If you come back, change in your life. You know, I think um, he probably considered himself. You know what? Yeah. So this way, I mean, if so, so there's a there's a scripture, yeah, right in in Romans twelve, where it talks about to not conform to the ways of this world, but to be transformed by the renewing Mm -hmm. of your mind. Right. So I can't say, you know, well. You can do anything you want, you know, and um, I'm still going to be in the midst of it because that's not what I'm telling you. I'm telling you, I'm not asking, you know what I'm saying? I'm telling you, do not conform to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now, whether you do it for you or you do it because you want to be in my presence, whether you're compelled to do it because you want to be in God's presence or because you don't want to miss out on what your significant other is part of, that's neither here nor there. The thing is, it still has got to be done. Yep. And that's kind of where so I'm at. What you're saying is, Life change. And I agree with you, Gary, because what you're saying is, my fiancé did not conform. He transformed, and he renewed his mind. Right, not right. Me, yeah. but for it's him, a transformation. because the circumstances. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, like I said, no, I don't believe people have to conform because, like Gary just said, mm-hmm. you can transform. Right. You can. Re- you can you, you You're can compelled to do it actively. Yeah, yeah because it's around yeah, you. Maybe it's the wrong choice of words, but that's exactly what I meant. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I believe anything can be transformative. And and I think that it works the same way with um, negative influences. Mm-hmm. You know, oh, yeah. why my book for me is so powerful. And, and when people tell me that, that they like my book, yeah, I, I always think, ask I'm them. To that. Before we get there, what are your expectations of love? Uh, I, don't, I don't have expectations anymore. Before, I had really idealistic expectations of love based on the kind of uh, child-rearing experiences I had. And I I believed that I would have this happy nuclear family and we would have 2.5 kids, a dog, and it would all be beautiful. But I hadn't lived enough life yet to understand that that's not really how life works. So now my intention is to just have healthy and happy love so it's not the love i have expectations of it's me and i feel like if i expect the best from me and i show that to my partner then he because of how i treat him will be inclined to do the same for me ah there that goes that goes that transformation once that again love Mm-hmm. And I feel like as long as that love is still flowing and as, and as long as the intention there, because intention matters. You know, if if I walk up to you, if I walk up to Gary, Gary, if we were this kind of friends and I walked up to you and said, hey, Gary, you know, I love you, right? What would you say? What do you say to, you, to your kids when they say that to you? What do you want? That's the first question. I used to say to mom, mom, you know, I love you, right? 
Jesus, what do you want? Yep. Well, I think, to be honest, if you come up to me and you say that, I'd probably just laugh. But I don't know why I would. But I would just laugh. Because I don't say that to people. <laughs> right. But that makes sense. Uh, you would laugh at me because it's out of character. Right. To use you to prove a point. But um, <laughs> so if we as people, we always think, oh, you must want something. Like people, especially people like me who are jaded because of life experiences. My fiance taught me that someone can love you with everything that they are without wanting anything except for the same in return. I can, he I just can, wants the same. Oh, go I ahead. can love your personality, you know. Mm-hmm. I can love your personality. I don't know much about you, but I can fall in love with your personality. Personality, yeah. Yes. Correct, yes. And, and, and nothing and, is wrong with that. No, not at all. Exactly. And you can say, because I love your personality, I want to be around you. I want to maintain a friendship with you. And mm-hmm. for me, again, that's all about intention. Mm-hmm. You like me as a person? Oh, we're friends now. So let's figure out how to maintain this friendship so it Absolutely. can still be healthy so that it's not based on, oh, I like your personality and that's it. Supposing, mm-hmm. supposing you're in a relationship and you find that the person isn't giving you the level of love that you anticipated, what would you do? Um, well, now that I'm, now that I know what it's like to get the same kind of love in return, because I was in that relationship. I was in a relationship before where I was giving from an empty cup and never being replenished. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I lost myself because of that. And so now, based on what I've learned and where I am, I would leave. Like, if that were my situation, if I had any inkling, I mean, even going forward, if I had any inklings going forward that my relationship would end up as a soul-sucking endeavor, I would dip out. Because I now know and I now can say out loud, I matter. I don't have to question it. I don't have True. to sit alone at night going, don't I matter? True. My feelings matter. Doesn't what I want True. matter? I can say out loud, I matter. And what you're not about to do is have me doing 6,000 things for you. And what did you do for me? Or you're not about to have me working 10, 11, 12 hours a day. And then you want me to come home and cook dinner. You've been at home all day, bro. Order a pizza. <laughs> like, I know my worth. And, <laughs> I know my worth now. And because I know my worth, my expectation for everybody is either value me or you don't get me. Respect All right. value me when I'm in your presence or you don't get my presence. Can you help me out? Help me out with something. I'm I'm gonna play devil's advocate just for a moment. Earlier we talked about love. What do we expect from it? Right? And it's like we shouldn't expect anything, right? So if we don't expect anything, then, you, you know, you? why are we now all of a sudden, if you do 6,000 things for me, you do that because you love me. You know what I'm saying? And whether I do one or a half of something or 600 or 6,000 just like you, you know, shouldn't it be said that I love you the same? You know what I'm saying? I may not do it. I may not do it no, the way no. you do it, but you know, it doesn't mean that I don't love you. 
But see, it seems like we're re- we're expecting a return on our investment, and there's nothing wrong with that. But I want to talk about that. Well, no, no, the love in this in this scenario, the love isn't the issue. The love is there. The word we're looking for is a value. You, I did mm. for you because I love man. you. Mm-hmm. So, so but do you value you do that six, I did those? Things? If you do six thousand things, are you expecting six thousand things in return? No, no, no. If, but if the one, if the only thing that you do for me is order your pizza, cause I, cause you know I work twelve hours, and you know I don't have time, I don't want to come home and cook because I'm tired. To me, that's showing that you value. That's showing that you care enough about the fact that I might have had a long day today, to to take the initiative to say, you know what, babe, you don't got to worry about dinner. You don't have to worry about cleaning. Like, it's it's about. Uh, at least that individual to... should be able to reciprocate something. I like I like how you're separating this because this is really good because yeah, this is exactly what I was looking for. Important. We we as a people we go oh you love me and that should be enough. No, love is not always enough. You need to love me. You need to respect me. You need to value me. You True. need to honor me. And all True. of these are separate things. So, yes, I can love you, but again, if you're a serial killer and I love you, I love you from over here. Because at that point, because you're a serial killer, to me, you have my love, but you've lost my respect, you've lost my value, you've lost my ability to cherish you, you've lost all of those things. So, yeah, what if I don't know? What if I don't know how to appreciate you? Then that's what is that? That's 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 my problem. Hey, babe. You don't know how to appreciate me, Gary. You sure? (laughs) 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 No, like for real. Like I, I'm saying this because I've I've seen and you have too. You know what I'm saying? You've been in relationships or you've seen things where it's like, and you say, and it's like, you you know, it's like I'm 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 feeling bad, and they're like, they're like, what you want me to do? Give you a hug? And it's like, well, shit, like. Yeah, it's, it's, and, but some people just don't know. You gotta beg for it. Yeah, it's like some people really don't know how to you just can't really do can't that. Know, I'm saying, like, especially in a relationship, when it's time to turn it on. Yeah, it's like we we talk about this a lot in my podcast about love and value. And let me tell you, the thing is, is there's all there's never a time. What you should never do is turn it off. You shouldn't be with someone. You can't go to and say, you know what, babe, I did this for you, and all I, you know, I would have appreciated because because the thing is, it's it's all about approach and delivery and all that stuff that we don't have to get into today. Absolutely. But here's my thing: is if I come home from a twelve hour shift at work and you want me to cook for you, and I do, and I'm exhausted. Then while we're having dinner, that's when we have a conversation. You know what, honey? I really didn't feel like cooking today. I would appreciate it if you would have just ordered a pizza. And then if you say, well, why didn't you call me? Okay, cool. I know for next time. I know next time to call you and say, hey, I'm really tired. But the thing for me that I had to learn that I get my from my current fiance that I've never gotten in a relationship before is he gives me the space to feel safe mm-hmm. saying that I didn't feel valued. The, the thing is, is people 
so so often will weaponize your vulnerability that that's why we don't know how to address these these things that yeah. come up yeah. that become big things because we get into relationships with people who do not know how to make us feel safe. My yeah. fiance makes me feel safe. He makes me feel safe enough to say, I have a migraine. I can't cook today. Do I don't. You, I don't yeah. And I think even as men, even as men, you know what I'm saying? Like our thing as men, no matter what happens, you know, suck it up. No big deal. Right. That's, that's that's the classic man's approach, right? And even learning, learning even man to come to me and be like, you know what, babe, this upset me today. And he knows that he can be safe doing that, but it took a while because his ex used to use that as a weapon. If he can yeah, and that's why we don't do it. Right. And so that's about, you know, that's about picking, uh, you know, that goes into picking a partner. Like, it became a priority to me when I knew I was going to start dating again because before my fiance and I were together, I was I was single for a long time. Like I casually dated, but then get into a serious long term relationship. And one of the things on my checklist of my next partner is I need to pick someone who makes me feel safe. I need to pick someone who I can go to and say, you know what? I normally don't cry, but I'm going to cry with you right now. Like I need to let this out. Or whatever the yeah, man. I need you to come with me to the doctor. True, whatever man. the situation is. True. Yeah. And yeah, man. Definitely. Value on that. I still would like to find out from you. What do you give? What do you expect? I know your expectations. But what do you give him? Everything. Literally... Anything that I want from him, I give to him because it's all about making sure the circle remains unbroken. Sure and if I need a shoulder to cry on, mm -hmm. he needs a shoulder to cry on. If I need a drink, he needs a drink. If mm -hmm. I need, you know, deodorant, he needs deodorant. We give as much to each other and i mean there's days when he can't give or i can't give and so somebody's giving a little more mm -hmm. but the in in our foundation we enter into a situation knowing we're giving each other the same what so i basically the both of you support each other in every possible way absolutely mm -hmm. that's awesome very interesting yeah that, that is awesome i love this yeah, yeah. This is, this is, it's, this it's is, not it's not it's not like a one-way kind of thing. Like I mean, it's all about yeah. This this is good stuff right here. We actually, keep it in the balance. We we are magnetic. Mm -hmm. Um, we are opposite sides of the same magnet. We gravitate toward each other. When Lovely. when he feels down, I feel down, and vice versa. When when we have disagreements. Um, we had a, a little minor misunderstanding this past Saturday and we talked it out and it was fine. But just for those few minutes that things were not great, it was, it was like something physically was telling me like, you got to fix this because like my body physically reacts when he and I are not on good terms. And so does his, it's, it's mm -hmm. not like, um, 
we don't have this kind of puppy love type thing where it's like, oh, we give so much to each other and then we get behind closed doors and it's totally different. People who are around us are just like, you guys are so cute and happy. Or or we gravitate to each other in the house. Like, Bravo to you guys. Be home. Thank you. I, I'm telling you, I'm in love. Like, he'll be working and I'll just come to the office and I'll bring him lunch and a drink and be like, what's up? And he drank something. What do you want for dinner? Let me feed you. Let me, you know, like, like uh, what do you know, you know, physical expressions. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. And both of y'all living on the same roof, right? Yeah. Yes. And it's a big deal for me because I'm not a cuddler. So as a cancer survivor, I'm severely immunocompromised. Um, so I get sick very easily. So I've never really been a cuddler or a kisser or anything like that mm. just to protect myself health-wise. But with my fiancé, it's totally different. Moment. So you don't like to cuddle? She said with her fiancé, it's totally different. Is, is he listening yeah. at the moment? Uh, Kind of. He's in the other room. He kind of listens. But he's been in here a couple of times. Bless kind of listen, brother. <laughs> if you're yeah, man. To you, man. Well, anytime, anytime you can get a woman that's not really into cuddling to get into cuddling, you've you've done something. Boy, I tell you, you have you have accomplished something. You're you're, you're the boss, brother. Like, you're the boss. <laughs> I don't like to be touched. Like I'm really, I'm not a cuddler. I don't really like to be touched. Oh. I don't really like to be hugged. And so, but he gets all of that from me. He gets the cuddling oh, and the hugging. Oh. And to the point where That's I what's seek up. it out. It's not, it's not him seeking it out from me. I seek it out from him all the time. Wow. Just to be, you know, close to him or just to be in his orbit. I know that he is probably listening off and on, but he's also in the process. He's producing my audio book right now. Um, he's doing all the audio and I stuff. I love him, so, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Is that, is that's that what's up steel, man. <laughs> absolutely wow. we finish each other's sentences I mean we're we're cute our friends are like y'all make us sick <laughs> like, like okay, we're so in this, love this brother like is he visually impaired as well he is he's the first totally blind guy I've ever dated oh and oh. that was a big deal for me too because like so you couldn't it was it was you couldn't get by was, without you couldn't get by without Without allowing him to touch. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> no, what's, what, what's, what's, what's the other side of the family relationship with you? His side of the family relationship with you? Fantastic. I love his mom. Um, I love his mom. His potential future sister-in-law, uh, Amy, dates his younger brother. She listens to our podcast. And so recently we found out that she can't wait to meet me because she listens to our podcast. Um, his mom, his mom actually bought my book, and then she's been sharing it with like all her friends and her coworkers. Like Lovely. my daughter-in-law wrote a book. Lovely, so it's, it's fantastic. I think she was a little skeptical at first because it happened really fast, but then she saw us together and she like got to witness what it really was, and she was like, oh, "Okay," and so now we have jokes and everything. I mean, she's phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Can can we move now to the next stage where we oh, absolutely talk, we talk about um, ML's book? ML, you, how are we going to do this? Um, I have not yet read the book. I don't think anybody has read the book. Um, Man, you, that was devastating. You, you just devastated my to, life. Are you going to walk? <laughs> us, eh? 
<laughs> you just never seen in my life. You gotta value honesty. We value. I do. That's why we're doing this. He said anybody though. He didn't even like specify like anybody on the stage. Oh well, maybe he was thinking about us. Anybody? No, I'm thinking. I'm thinking about the co-host. Like, I'm thinking about the co-host. He, he he's thinking about us. Just giving you a hard time. I'm, That's I'm okay. Hard That's time. okay. Um, <laughs> talk to us. Tell us. Tell us. Let Let's start at the beginning. Talk about the genesis of the book. So, yeah. Why do you want to write a book? I see. I didn't. Um, <laughs> what I wanted to do was be a motivational speaker. And back in 2018, while I was dealing with such a big transition in my life, I met Dee Dee Scott, who is the founder and CEO of Let Love Glow Author Services. Um, and they were the publishing company that I worked with to, you know, make a book happen. And one day I was talking to her and I was telling her actually that I wanted to be a motivational speaker. And so just like, you know, we sat here today, I sat down and I was telling her about my life. And she says, you know, Michelle, I think you could do it. She said, but you need something. You need something to stand on. She said, most motivational speakers, when they're done, they have a book to sell or a DVD or something to offer when they're done. You have to have like, why would people be motivated by you? Like, give them a reason to be motivated. Um, so she told me that, you know, that I should share my story with the world. And, and she wasn't the first person, but she said it at a time that I needed to hear it. So all through while I was dealing with everything I was dealing with between 2018 and 2020, I was brainstorming and working with her on how we could potentially make a book happen. Well, once we got through all the hurdles of what was going on with my health and my family, then, you know, the pandemic happened, which was perfect because everyone who ever wanted to write a book had an opportunity to sit down and write the issue. Mm -hmm. They didn't really have an opportunity to publish. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I wanted to figure out how I wanted to tell the story. Like, did I want to just do a regular biography or an autobiography? Did I want to do a memoir? How did I want my story to be told? So I decided that out of respect for my family and out of respect for myself, my story would be a reflection of my life, but written in fiction. So... Some of the main characters' names are changed. Some of the the times and people and places are changed. So, for example, there might be something that I say happened when I was 13 that really happened when I was 17, or vice versa, uh, just for the sake of the story. So it's still something that happened, but maybe the time presented in the story isn't actually the time that took place uh, and all that jazz. But it's about my life. It's a, one of my frequent quotes from the book is, no one ever wants to be the blind kid, the black kid, or the sick kid. Why did you, and, choose, why did you choose fiction to do it in? Is it that you were afraid to reveal your, your, yourself or what? Um, no. Actually, it made me feel safer. It made me feel safe because as cathartic as it was, when you're narrating in fiction, it's almost like it's not happening to you. Does that make sense? 
Yes. It so does. I was telling my own story, but I was telling it from the perspective of someone else. So I was able to distance myself from it a little bit, which allowed me to be more truthful, actually, um, because that distance was there. When I tried to write it as a, as a memoir, mm. um, it wouldn't work because I was so afraid of hurting someone or painting the wrong picture or offending someone or not getting it right. My reason for and so asking, when I stopped... My reason for asking... <laughs> is that uh, if you're going to motivate people through your writing if it's not if it's not you in the lines it sometimes doesn't come over as well that that is why i posed that question no i i respect that and i i agree with you and i think that it's important and you'll find a lot of novels you'll see it say a novel based on a true story so that's not to say that this thing didn't happen, but maybe this thing didn't 100% happen exactly how they said it did. Um, what was that movie? Alpha Dog. Alpha Dog is a really good example of a story that was turned into a movie based on true events that didn't happen exactly how they said that it happened in the movie. Um, and, I, and again, I feel like for me that lent credence to being able to tell a, a better story because I was able to distance myself from it and just say this is how I was feeling and I'm not gonna lie what we did um, is we wrote it as me and then we went back for the main character specifically and changed the name so that it still was coming from my perspective so we knew who the main character was going to be but I wrote it as me, and then I went back and changed the names. And then also to protect my family and friends, because there are parts of my story, um, for example, that discuss suicide, sexual assault, uh, family dynamics. All of those things occur at some point in the book. And even though it's my story as a whole, I'm not the only one affected by my story. You know, I still think about how my mom potentially would be affected. So she's not named in my book. Um, my aunts and uncles, cousins, I think about the fact that, you know, people, because of our affiliations to each other, could potentially judge them based on my book, and I didn't want that kind of backlash for them either. Yeah, I, I can definitely see, you know, why that would be, you know, relevant to definitely change some things around, you know, especially because, you know, yeah, you, you want to get the story out there, um, you know, but you don't want to sacrifice the integrity of yourself or your family or your friends. Right. And like, for example, my best friend, she um, read the story and she says to me, you know, Michelle, even though you didn't write it using your name, I know you well enough to be able to pick out the parts that's true. And she said, but even I was able to discover some things I didn't know about you when I read the book. So, you know, she was like, it was still, she was like, I still was able to enjoy it even after knowing you for over 10 years. 
and I was still able to get something from the overall story. So I think that people as a whole need something to believe in. It doesn't matter necessarily if it's my story written as, as me, as a biography, or if it's my story written as a novel. The, the fact of the matter is it's still my story and it still gives people hope. People are able to see all of the times that my life has taken ups and downs and zigzags and roundabouts, and I still came out on the other side happy and healthy and fabulous. And I think that that's the important thing. The book has how many chapters? Jesus, I don't know. Oh, <laughs> uh, can I ask the audience? Um, I think. Well, we've already told you we didn't read it yet, so. <laughs> Honestly, I think, I think it's got 14. I think it's got 14. So I think it's one through, I think it's prologue chapters one through 12 and then an epilogue but honestly i we won't quote you on that part no. thank okay. you i don't uh, know and be like i didn't read the book how many chapters i don't know hey, you know what when i'm done i'm gonna call you and be like guess what I found out how many chapters it has. <laughs> I, I can tell you how many pages it is. I will spare you the ordeal of the next question then. Because I mean, the it's next, about 60 pages. You the know? next question I was about to ask you is give us an idea of the titles of some of the chapters. Oh, I actually know this. Don't try to shade me. I saw what He's like, wait, I know this. <laughs> <laughs> that was, Where, where's the Jeopardy theme song when when you need it? No facts. Thank you, Gary. You're being moved to the back. <laughs> you tried it. I see what you did there. Um, so I'm a big music and movie buff. So there are a lot of different chapters. Uh, for example, there's a chapter called "Take Me to the King." Uh, the it's a, the song title by Pamela Mann. And then there, that particular chapter has a subtitle called A Conversation About Faith, where I talk, you know, where I kind of go into my feelings about faith and religion and things like that. Uh, there's a chapter, there's a chapter called Cinderella. There's a chapter called The N-Word, where I tell a story about being called the N-Word one day on the bus. Uh, there's a chapter called Arkansas Regrets, where I talk about moving from Indiana to Arkansas and back again. Uh, there's a chapter called Cinderella. There's a chapter called Wings by, and it's a song by Little Mix. It's at the end. So maybe I can't tell you how many chapters there are, but I can definitely tell you <laughs> what the chapter, what the titles are. They're, they're song and movie titles um, based on my life. I, again, I'm a big movie and song girl. So that was incorporating that into my story was important to me because mm -hmm. music and movies used to be my escape music movies and books were my escape growing up and so it was important to me to be able to give that back to people and so that they can have some insight into what kind of like the music the song titles are all over the place so it, it's the, great fun to see the kind of music interest i have the chapter on music and the movies 
what what is it really getting to um what is it telling what is it well, trying so to tell us each chapter is telling something different mm -hmm. so for example there's a chapter called cinderella where i talk about the time in my life when i lived with my grandfather mm -hmm. and i felt like cinderella you know growing up in that house um the conversation the 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 take me to the king chapter is a conversation about faith and and figuring out you know what my role and my path would be in life um with or without my faith mm -hmm. so each chapter based on the title kind of gives you an idea of what you're going to be reading is there a chapter on love i'm sorry is there a chapter on love Yes and no. Um, there's chapters where I discuss previous relationships. However, the next novel is going to be called How Much Can I See? A Conversation in Love Letters. I was just that, going to say that you need, to, you need to go back and write a new book. <laughs> oh, I will. My fiancé and I are actually going to be writing it together. We're going to be co-authoring it. Mm -hmm. And we're going to each uh, tackle our journeys to each other okay. and we're going to write it again. It's going to be like a conversation in love letters. Okay. So that's, that's so, my next project. So we're we going to really, a, we um, have a second book to look forward to. You do have a second book to look forward to. Uh, and we're going to try to read it before we after bring you back. Yes, yes. Maybe you should read the first one before you bring me back. <laughs> definitely. Forget the you, second you one. Let's go need, back you and definitely read need to come back. Thank you. That means we're definitely going to read it. We, we need to read this book. But we need to read the book first. So where yeah. can we find the book? It's about expectations. Where can That's right. Earn it. Yeah. Um, so right now it's available for Kindle Unlimited memberships, you can download it as a free read. So please go read my book if you have a Kindle Unlimited membership. If you have an ebook reader or a phone or anything else, you can go buy my ebook right now on Amazon.com. Look for How Much Can I See a Novel in Essays or search me as an author, M.L. Farrell, and you'll find it. You can follow me on Amazon, which is so cool. I think that's so cool. Um, you can follow me to get word about any kind of new releases mm -hmm. by this weekend, everybody. You guys are hearing it here first on Tell It Like It Is. I came with an announcement. By this weekend, there will be a paperback book available for order. Awesome. And as we speak, yeah! we are working on All right. Just because. As we speak, we are um, currently working on an audiobook. So, probably by mid to late May, there will be an audible version of Beautiful. my book. Check it out. Oh, that, that I, I can't cool. wait for that, man. Yes. Yeah, I can't it's, wait for that. Really, yeah, man. It's trending. It's doing really well, like surprisingly well. Um, it's, it's very short. It's trending consistently near the top of the 90 minute literature and fiction short reads amazon charts uh, i'm in the top 100,000 of uh, amazon author sales right now which is a big big deal when you think about the millions of people who put books on amazon regularly 
Wow. And so for my book, the last time I checked, it was like in the 96,000 area, which was phenomenal. So I'm really excited. It's a short read. You know, you can read it between things. If you're a bath person like me, you can bust it out and read it while you're taking a long hot bath and get your little self-care done, ladies. Men, men get things from my book, too. Uh, We're going to shove it in our pocket and read it in church. You should go to church. <laughs> um, my one of my fiance's best friends actually, he did my very first book review, and I cried a little bit because I felt so honored. Uh, that man, I have a lot of respect for him just as a man, and he read my story. And for a man who doesn't really know me except for that I'm his friend's girl to read my book and you know he was like it's really powerful and I'm really like I'm gonna share it with my family and my daughters for me that was a really big deal like and that's all I really want I even if only one person gets something from my story still important that's what matters mm-hmm. that yeah. one person matters I just I just want to be able to change people's lives and I also want to offer them a community I want people to know that wherever I am Wherever you see How Much Can I See, wherever you see Author and Mel Farrell, that that's a safe place for you. And I want to build those safe places because no one built them for me. And so that's just the safety net that I want to offer to the world. Mm-hmm. Awesome. What do you definitely do? Be, definitely be reading that book. What do you Thank do? You. What do you do when you're not writing? During the course oh, of the day? Nowadays, um, Nowadays, I've actually been doing a lot of scheduling. So interviews, podcasts, events. I have an event that I'm going to be participating in October. So I'll be able to come to you guys soon with more information about that. Um, Lately, it's been wedding planning. I actually am in a, a very blessed situation where my partner knows that I want to be a motivational speaker and I want to be an influencer, but like in the positive way. So he gives me the space to do that. So I do a lot of networking. Um, I spend a lot of time trying to grease people's palms and let them know like I'm out here and I have things to say Mm -hmm. and I'll do a show with you or I'll do an interview or if you need me to write something up or, you know, thinking about really creative ways to let people know that I'm out here and I'm interested in talking to all of you. Mm-hmm. So you 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 spend a lot of time um, communicating with people and making schedules. I do. I mm-hmm. um. So it's it's interesting because, and again, it goes back to our conversation about relationships and respect. Mm-hmm. So my fiance and I, we tend to uh, get up around the same time and, and move similarly so essentially from 7 a.m to 7 p.m every single day my phone the ring the ringer is on you can call me text me whatever mm-hmm. from 7 p.m to 7 a.m my phone is on silent yeah that's not to say i don't pay attention to my phone <laughs> but that's to say that's when i really start winding down and spending more that's time, time relaxing my mind personal yeah. time mm-hmm and then after pretty much after 11 p.m i don't take any calls that are not from family and i don't respond to messages that aren't from family or anything like that and he's the same way 
So I have basically from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. to do whatever I want, whether that's Clubhouse, whether that's Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, whether that's doing interviews like this. I have all this time to be available for everyone else. And since my partner is working, I have to also consider when can I be available for my partner? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then and then him too you know he when he's not working he has a lot of other things that he's doing so for us as a couple it's really important to set aside that time so right now the momentum has been crazy <laughs> with my book stuff so our time is typically we get together at night before we go to bed and we discuss our devotional why well, ask and, you you know i, I said, ask you about the what you do during the course of the day is that Life is so expensive these days and bread and butter issues come up from time to time. How do you deal with those? So, um, not really. I mean, life is expensive, yes. However, that's not to say that even though, because I can still make, I now can make revenue off the book, which is fantastic. Um, And it's not to say that I don't have my own income stream. So he's not the only like he's not carrying the household financially. So bread and butter issues don't really come up for us, and we have a pretty we have a pretty pretty solid understanding of what our finances look like because he knows me and he knows that even though we've discussed it and for the most part I want to be like a stay at home mom or a stay at home wife or whatever, and eventually I'm going to start a nonprofit and again. I want to do motivational speaking and I want to be able to do stuff like this every single day of the week where I can just sit down and just shoot the shit for two hours. So um, the motivational speaking really keeps you going then? The oh, moment. definitely. Okay. It definitely, and, and right now I've come into a lot of situations where people have offered to speak to me, but it's becoming frequent enough that hopefully I can even, you know, do like a, uh, get some best of moments together mm-hmm. so I can start shopping them around to people. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that's really what keeps me going being able to connect and inspire but I'm an introvert at heart so when I don't have anything I read I spend so much time I'll put my phone on do not disturb and read and then three days later 17 people I called you one day I put my phone on do not disturb when I took it off I had 221 notifications mm, that's a lot yeah <laughs> like because my phone goes crazy. What kind of books do you like to read? Everything. Oh my god, everything. I love hearing about other people's lives, so I love biographies and memoirs. But I'm also just oh, yeah, crazy just a little bit. So I love beautiful. investigation, discovery, and snap. So I love mm-hmm. mysteries and thrillers and suspense books. Uh, what I don't like is romance. You know what's up. <laughs> Same here, man. Like I don't like romance novels. Like, I'd rather see you kill somebody than fall in love. Mm-hmm. That was the one. Y'all all got quiet. No, no, no. no. <laughs> well, I'm I'm sitting here thinking, but I, I want to give the other people a chance to... to... So I was like, she doesn't... So I was like, I was like, wait, 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 wait. I was like, wait. I'm I'm trying not to I'm trying not to be a jerk the whole time, you know. But I'm sitting here and I'm like, wait, wait. wait. So oh, yeah. she doesn't like cuddling and she doesn't like romance novels. <laughs> I, I'm not I'm not big into that romance novel thing either. 
So I got her, man. Well, I'm not. I'm not big into it because it's always the same thing. Same it's always thing. the same. Mm-hmm. It's always the same old cupcaking or those novels where you cupcaking and then you find out he or she is super crazy, or then you you mix religion into it and there's this crazy pastor that sleeps with like four or five different women and it documents everything much younger this soap opera thing i was really big into this young and a restless thing but <laughs> thinking about it right now just, oh my god and the bold and beautiful thing <laughs> but i don't want i don't want to leave i think i think that when you've been through things like i'm sure we all have been through things uh-huh. romance novels Romance novels, in my opinion, it's a headache tell to it me. like it is stage, is romance novels are people are for people who ain't ever either. It's either this side. You either haven't been through shit or you've been through too much shit that you need to escape. Oh, and yeah. for me, I just can't. Like, I've can't, been through too much. Can't deal with, can't deal with them dramas, man. You're looking, you're looking for a heaven. Yeah, I can't deal with them dramas. Right. And also, as an, as an independent woman, I'm not reading no book where a man has to save me. No, I'm saving myself, bro. Like you need to I'm fall in love with me because you. I saved you. Why I gotta why I gotta be rescued and be a damsel in distress and stuff? How come you didn't get kidnapped, sir? Well, but like, why can't the man save you? Why not? Because why can't I why assist can't? in the rescue? Like, how come you didn't get here? Like, what if he gets there and I'm already, you know, rescuing myself, so then we just help each other get out safely? Well, how come well, you got to well, well, kill I'll the bad guy? You. He off-rescues. He, he, I don't have to save you. Uh, at, least he, uh, at least he tried. <laughs> nah, <laughs> at least he tried. Nah, this ain't horseshoes or hands. Right yeah, now. you can, you can, look. You, you do the first part, the da, 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 and he does the last part, duh. And see, you know, you work together. No, I, I, I see no. attempt to save you, Michelle. No, Let me say something. I but feel like saying you if must we, to leave alone. That's true. And if we were working together, I shouldn't have been in a situation where I needed to be rescued in the first place. Because where were you when I was put into this situation, sir? Well, 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 ma'am, you were you insisted that I not try to save you. <laughs> All right, Gary. What happened? To, I thought you wasn't talking right now. <laughs> well, I wasn't, but now I am. <laughs> see? <laughs> and you see, and you see, you see, oh my God. remember, maybe I, when you were down, I did not know you. Mm-hmm. And now I come into your life, and mm-hmm. I'm trying to rescue nah. you. That's and bullshit. You could have prayed about it. You could have asked God to send you me. <laughs> you could have prayed about it. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, so, so, so. So, 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 so what about uh, at that moment? God don't really think maybe you should be there at that point. You are a superwoman. <laughs> yeah. What if, What if he said you ain't ready? You ain't ready to save her yet. What, what about that? He's not. Or what? If, or what if? She, or or what if? Or what if he? Or what if? Speaking of song titles and stuff, what if God looks at you and he's like, "Don't save her. She don't want to be saved." Oh, you know what I'm saying? Or oh, let her stay a little longer. I mean, that's longer. what I was expecting. <laughs> that's like a solid song title. I respect that. You know what? You You know what? No, that should be. That's really the story of people's lives. You can't save people who do not want to be saved. That's true. Save themselves. I have bad news for all you guys. I have bad news. Yeah. We don't have any more time left to save. uh, Listen, man. We need to bring Michelle back in the studio. We definitely need to do that. That's right. Yeah, whenever you release that book, we definitely need to get back here, yeah? Yes. 
So I'm listeners, right now. What are listeners you saying? we're going to have to leave you today, unfortunately. We have run out of time completely. Um, so oh, I'm going man. to leave you and I'm going to say, as always, peace. If you have any questions or comments regarding this program, please address them to norwill2 at gmail.com. That is N-O-R-W-I-L-L number 2 at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Have a happy and a productive week. That's it for today. Join me next time when we will present another in the series Vision Scope. Music was provided by Rennie Williams Jr.